0: another translation, but he turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. This is one of the more recognizable verses in the New Testament. James and John act upon impulse in judging these Samaritans because they wanted nothing to do with Jesus, or the Jews in general. And studying the origin of the Samaritans, we find they were different from the Jews, but they occupied a large chunk of the land in the middle of the country in the days of Jesus. And there's a lot of history between the Jews and the Samaritans, which created a lot of animosity between the two. So when Jesus is in their territory, we shouldn't be surprised that the Samaritans want nothing to do with him, despite the success he had in John chapter 4. But James and John appear to be defending their master's honor, denouncing the Samaritans' behavior to such a degree that they want to kill them. Now, even by the law of Moses, there were limits on capital punishment. And going back to the days of Noah preceding the law, God commanded human government to be fair in judgment, declaring an eye for an eye. Or in other words, the punishment was consistent with the offense and not too much or not too little. But here, James and John want to kill the despised Samaritans for not receiving Jesus. And we notice in this that Jesus did not condemn the Samaritans. He knew their hearts like he knows ours. And he likely understood why they wanted nothing to do with him, so he was content moving on to another plan. So to James and John, he not only rebukes their violation of the law that they knew very well, but he also exposed something in them that we would all do well to reflect upon, how we can become in an instant wicked in heart, because wickedness dwells in our heart. And the Holy Spirit is not going to fly off the handle and torch people because he gets irritated. That's not love. Rather, that's a heart of vengeance that has no place in the child of God's life. So they were operating with another spirit, not God's spirit. And we're no different when we lash out at someone driving too slow on the freeway wishing we had secret missiles built into our car where we could simply push a button and rid the earth of these irritating people. And when things like this happen and vengeance flares up within us, we must realize the Holy Spirit is not running the show. Rather, our flesh is running the show. And that's not good. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And the flesh, they're referring to our own natural selves, the way that we do business, the natural outside of the supernatural indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which changes us. So basically the flesh is our normal selves. And if we're operating in our normal selves without the influence of the Holy Spirit guiding us, leading us so we can obey him, then we cannot please God no matter what we do. This is where James and John were at this point. They were in the flesh. And it didn't please Jesus. Rather, it prompted him to remind them that his role in this world was not to condemn the world, but to save it. John twelve forty six I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day and that was totally me. He did not judge me, but I was in darkness for years, and I'm glad that he doesn't judge us like we think he judges us. He allows consequences to come in for our stupidity, and I experienced a lot of those, but as far as being struck down or severely judged, there's a time for that, and the time is not here. The time is in eternity. So Jesus does not want to judge the world. He wants to save it. He wants to see us come to repentance. He wants to see everybody come to repentance, even the worst person. And we can fall into a trap very easily. And this is one of the tactics that the devil uses in our lives to really screw up our relationship with Jesus. That is to make us think that we are better and more worthy than others, like John and James demonstrated here many of us are like this and quite frankly if I was not a new creation in Christ I'd still be thinking like this that I was better than some people I would look for those people that I felt I was better with and feel good about myself because look I don't do what he does I haven't done this I haven't done that I do this and I do this, this is the Pharisee standing at the temple praying with a tax collector Lord I thank you that I'm not like this guy here the tax collector I'm awesome and he's a jerk but that kind of thinking permeates the thinking of many today and that is contrary to to what God has created in us. It is to love one another no matter who it is. And when I'm walking with Jesus, trying to be faithful and obey him, I can still fall victim to this. I can minimize the lives of others that I deem less worthy. And I think that's human nature. That's the sin that lives within us. But also I think it spins out of a survival mode where I need to take care of me first and everyone else is automatically seated at an inferior position in my mind. Philippians 2.3 Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we need to be looking for opportunities to bless other people and take care of them when it's in our power to do so. And this is really the essence of God's agape love, or the word love in the original language. The word agape, it's a sacrificial and unconditional love, meaning that we put ourselves at a lower level than others. This is what Jesus taught his disciples in many places, such as Mark chapter 10, verse 44. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when we look at these things and apply them to our life, we have to realize that these are things that are being taught so that we may use them in our life as practical living tools. And it's not hard to believe in the big things that the Bible teaches, like do not lie, do not steal, do not murder. And these things can be avoided and are avoided by many who have understood that there's big consequences for them and it's not worth falling into them. So it's not just a religious commandment. It's more practical living. Hey, if you're stupid, you're going to suffer for it. However, when we really want to live to please the Lord, then the hard things come like becoming a servant to all, loving and praying for your enemies, etc., And these things, they may seem impossible for some because of our bitterness towards those who may have hurt us in some way and have made themselves our enemies. I don't want to pray for that person. I want God to judge them. Like John and James said, I want to call down fire upon them and consume them. But Jesus is like, hold on, throttle back. Let's love these people instead. And we find we cannot do this on our own. We can't do it in our natural self. There's just too much animosity there a lot of times. But that's where the power of the Holy Spirit and that love that's poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit, Romans five five that's where that comes in practically. God gives us the love to love the unlovable. And when a person is serious about Jesus and understands that church affiliation or attendance really has nothing to do with their relationship with Jesus, rather they're now in prayer, obeying the word and seeking the will of God, then the power of the Holy Spirit is available, and begins to minister to us in our daily lives, empowering us to actually do these things. And we see a striking example of this with Peter. When Jesus restored Peter three times in John chapter 21 for the three times that he denied him, we can sense that Peter felt defeated and ashamed of himself at the time, and I think we would probably feel the same way. He had not only betrayed Jesus by denying him three times, blowing his witness, but he also proved himself a coward Because he swore to Jesus immediately before that, in front of all the other apostles, that if he had to go to prison or death, he would he would die before he denied Jesus. But he denied him. But only a few weeks later, we see Peter standing in the temple area, boldly preaching Jesus to all those that had gathered for the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. So what happened to Peter? He went from a coward to a powerful preacher. The secret? He was empowered or baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter had received the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20, verse 22, with the rest of them, when it says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he had obviously believed in Jesus because he had spent so much time with him prior to this, and especially on the shore where Jesus restored him. But none of these things seemed to have made him the bold preacher that he became in Acts chapter 3. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon him. Suddenly, all those things that Jesus had taught Peter, now he saw them as truth and being convinced of all these things, it clicked. The light came on. Like being forgiven and reconciled to God, he understood this was actually something worth fighting for. This was actually something that he experienced. And by Peter's failure, he learned a valuable lesson of how good God is. And in our lives, many times when we fail, we feel sorry for ourselves and walk away like Judas did. But Peter, he was reconciled to God because he hung in there. And then the Holy Spirit gave him the fuel for his fighting engine, and the transformation was very evident. And in my life, there came a point where I began to see the scriptures as God's truth. as a process for me. And with that truth, the power of the Holy Spirit began to do what Jesus said he would do in Acts chapter 1, 8. He said, you're going to go out and you're going to be a witness. Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. You are going to be a witness. I'm going to give you the power to be a witness. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. You are going to have the power of God within you so that God is actually leading you in this and you will be a witness. And it happened to me. Not that I'm a perfect witness, but that was evident. I wasn't one of these that merely profess faith, but I actually believed the scriptures and understood that these are the words of life. It clicked with me. Now all I had to do was obey, and it became a lot easier when I crossed that line from church goer to follower of Jesus. And the battle between my flesh, which wants to disobey the word and obey me and fall back into pride, selfishness, etc., battling my spirit, which wants to obey God, That still continues and will to the day that I die and am finally delivered from this miserable earthly body and in eternity with Jesus. But in the meantime, there's a life to live, and living it for Jesus brings about that strange peace that passes all understanding. So now when I want to shoot my imaginary car missiles at the person in front of me doing 10 under the speed limit, the Holy Spirit reminds me, hey, this is an opportunity to pray for that person or show vengeance, whatever you want to do. What are you going to do, son? So I think about it I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't, I'm probably better off if I pray for them. You know, There may be reasons why a person is afraid to drive the speed limit. I've met people that driving scares them and they get on a busy highway and all of a sudden they vapor lock. But if we condition our mind to pray instead of going off on a person, that's our first response. When we feel that vengeance welling up in us, it's like, nope, this is the time to pray. And we start doing that. We maintain that peace. And the other option is to let the situation ruin our day and we blow our witness. So James and John, Jesus says, you know not what spirit you are of. What spirit are you of? Are you willing to let go of the wrath of God in your life and replace it with God's love? Are you willing to wash the stinky feet of an obnoxious person in the name of Jesus? If not, don't expect that power of God to override your wickedness. It doesn't work that way. We surrender that to Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells where he is invited and welcomed, not in a place where he is dishonored and disobeyed. So instead of calling down fire on others, cry out to Jesus for mercy and grace upon them. Look for opportunities to bless and not curse. Ask Jesus to open up that door of opportunity to pray for someone this week. Get in that habit of praying for people. Start focusing on blessing and not calling down fire, and you'll be blessed. Thank you.